you've come to the right place if you're looking to create, launch, and scale a high-value online training program. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of Lifter LMS, the most powerful learning management system for WordPress. Stay to the end. I've got something special for you. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name is Chris Badgett and I'm joined by a special guest. Her name is Carol Stambaugh. She's from Radiate WP and RadiateForGood.com. She's a WordPress professional. She is an organizer of the Phoenix Meetup. Did I say it right? It's actually the, the Arizona. We, we call it the Arizona Meetup, but we're mainly in Phoenix. We've got a fairly big group. So, yeah. <laughs> Originally, Lifter LMS started in California. Thomas moved to Phoenix. We moved our office to to, to Phoenix. Uh, but so it's cool to have the, the the Phoenix connection there. Something you may not know about me is I actually have a background in cultural and, and applied anthropology, and I know you're doing some stuff with Native Studies and and nonprofit. So we're going to kind of be talking about the intersection of WordPress and technology in general, um, culture. Uh, education and uh, really how those worlds kind of collide and, and, uh, and, and dig into it today. But first, Carol, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm so glad to be here. I love it. You recently, or as of this recording, uh, we were before the, the show, we were talking about your niching into the nonprofit sector. Tell us more about radiateforgood.com. You have a, you have a big website building WordPress care plan background, but what's up with the niching into nonprofits? Well, it really is taking me back to where I started. I actually have my bachelor's degree and master's degree in social work. And so I started as a social worker years ago and was the executive director of uh, two different nonprofit organizations. And what made me fall in love with the web is whenever I discovered a CMS. This was this was in the early days of what a CMS was. Um, this was like about the time that WordPress was born. It was not it was not WordPress that I initially fell in love with. It was a, one that was specifically designed for associations um, because I was the executive director of an association. But I began to see and understand how a website's CMS could actually make a nonprofit's job easier, and how the nonprofit could really tie itself and its functionality and some of the work that it does and rely on the website to do some of the heavy lifting. And as I got into doing that, I became recognized in my little group of nonprofit execs as someone who was good at this. And I had people actually fly me to different states and teach them some of the things that I had learned and teach them how to set their website up and do some of the similar things that I was doing. And that was the beginning for me. So I actually come from the nonprofit world, then moved into WordPress and began doing WordPress for 10 years now. And we have an agency, Radiate WP, that does care plans. And I've just always felt that pull back to the nonprofit. And when my business partner and I just started looking at ways we could niche in, it was just the obvious thing because I'm already very familiar with what it's like to be in those nonprofit shoes. And so we really are working more closely with nonprofits and helping to manage their websites. That's awesome. And for the, for the WordPress professionals out there, 
Um, I think there's a common misconception that there's no money in, in nonprofits or um, one of the differences I like to think of is like a for-profit business is kind of, uh, you know, it, it, the board or whatever is accountable to the, the shareholder, or, whereas with a nonprofit, it's more about the mission. And just because it's a nonprofit, it doesn't mean there aren't funding or resources available for the website and whatnot. But could you give us any other, if, if a WordPress professional is watching this and they're trying to niche? So you, you, you left with the whole idea about, I believe, because I got, I uh, was started connecting again about the whole idea of nonprofits. And there's this kind of idea that they may not have the money. And I actually want to reinforce that that's, that's absolutely the truth. There are just a different set of stakeholders and a different set of uh, priorities and they are mission driven and mission focused. And so a nonprofit doesn't mean they don't make a profit. It means that their profit is turned back into what they do for the organization. And that may be improving a website. I mean, like it's it, so it basically it's reinvesting the profit into the organization, whereas for profits obviously go to someone. Um, who actually profits off of the business. So you're right. There is this, this feeling that a nonprofit may not, you know, oh, they don't have money. You're, not, you're never going to work with them or you shouldn't work with them. Um, on the contrary, oftentimes because nonprofits also have uh, a very mission-driven focus, they often have resources that other small businesses don't. For example, educational grants. Um, you know, I'm working with a client right now who's working with a federal grant to improve some education. And that education means online courses built with Lifter. So there are definitely options and opportunities and working with nonprofits is different because you are working a little bit more with a group of people and you have to understand your decision makers and your stakeholders um, versus a business owner or maybe one or two people. So there's a little bit of dynamic change with that. But I'm super comfortable with that because that's where I come from and I understand that world. And so if you're going to work into the nonprofit world, you have to understand a little bit about how they work. You have to understand that they have bylaws. They have boards of directors. They have ways in which they work. And you have to be familiar with that. But if you're, you know, if you get familiar with that, it's a great group of people to work with. And I really love our nonprofit clients. They're just, they're just genuinely awesome to work with. Yeah, I mean, mission-driven organizations uh, that it's it has a, they have a special feel to it, and it's hard for me to think of a nonprofit or a mission-driven organization that doesn't have some kind of education need. Um, right. Yes. It just seems like when there's a mission, there's learning happening, and right. Uh, even internally within the organization, or externally with the public, or whoever they're trying to serve, or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. They definitely go hand in hand. So how I'm fascinated by this idea of, um, you know, uh, bricks turning into bits. Like, so if a nonprofit is coming out of a world for various reasons where they're trying to reach more scale or use the internet more, um, the website can do that, uh, you know, in terms of 
messaging and a ga- gathering place, if you will. But what do you what do you see it for um, for nonprofits and learning online? Like, what are the jobs to be done in that sector? Well, you know, it's I, I just keep thinking about this one particular client that I'm working with, and it and it's they're just such the perfect example. They're a museum, and they provide a lot of education, and that museum has. Um, they have field trips. So school children come into the museum and uh, on their school field trips and they learn different things. But one of the one of the things that the museum wants to do is have post field trip learning. They want to be able to create short little, they call them lessons, but you and I would call them a course in, in LMS terms. Um, so in LMS terms, they want to create these little courses that's like a, you know, now that you're home from your field trip, share what you learned with your family. And so then you're taking the child and their field trip and what they learned there and saw in real life and they can and and preparing an online version of that that they can then go home log in show videos show some of the things that they saw and share that with their family and then also go to the little lesson that has learn more about this and then they can learn even more and research a little bit more about the way of life of the native american tribe from this river valley, you know, and, and that's, that's what we're looking at. And it's, it's all very exciting because we're not talking about impacting just the child and the school children. It's like taking it home and it's taking it home to the family. And whenever, and I can tell from a personal experience, the importance of having these type of, uh, things available during the middle of the pandemic last year due to some weird things with our family situation. I pulled my son out of one school and was homeschooling him until the beginning of the next semester. Um, I'm not a teacher. (laughs) That was not, that was not the plan. So I was looking for any kind of curriculum or online learning that I could find anywhere that I could just keep his brain going. Um, I just needed his brain to continue learning and to continue seeing and doing and doing new things. And so that's another thing that like this museum and some of the stuff that you do with a nonprofit and this community education is that you can actually build curriculum and you can build knowledge and you can share knowledge that can become part of maybe a homeschool curriculum. Or in my case, it was an emergency curriculum because I didn't have a school for my child at the time. And I'm in the middle of the pandemic. There were a lot of people like me. Um, That's not normal. We hope that's not going to be a normal thing. But there are a lot of homeschool um, families that will embrace that kind of knowledge when it's out there. And it does, it connects that nonprofit to this family who may never walk in the door. Yeah, that's, that's really incredible. It's, I mean, what happens inside the walls of the museum is important, Uh, but we have media, you know, we, I think we've seen this before, sort of this, a version of the story before with documentaries, you know, perhaps a child or a parent gets really interested in a certain type of Native American history or some science thing. And then they, they 
they start the documentary at home, the course, the lessons, the online communities, the online groups is like another like version of content that's perhaps got more features, more structure, more depth to it. Um, so having, in some ways, there's this trend in e-learning called the flip classroom, where if you think about your museum as an example, in a, as the classroom, a flip classroom, a lot of the learning happens outside of the class. And then when people come into the actual classroom, they're, uh, it's more of like a coaching enrichment thing, but they're mostly learning online outside of the classroom, kind of flipping that idea of homework on its head that uh, you know, the learning is outside. And then on the inside, we're just trying to support the learner and, and coach and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Curriculum provide provider is, uh, is really interesting. I've seen some people, I mean, Let's LMS is, and because WordPress is so flexible, the tools can be bent to do different things from uh, an expert teaching on a topic for profit to a company trying to train their employees to a remote school trying to connect teachers and students to a curriculum provider. That's another major use case we see. We've got um, people who work at NASA that uh, are creating science curriculum for kids and they deliver that at scales into uh, uh, schools with Lifter LMS. I've seen somebody do that with agricultural uh, learning content and ecology content. Um, I saw another entrepreneur do it with um, actually entrepreneurship content where he would license his entrepreneurship course, almost like a virtual textbook to college professors of entrepreneurship all over the United States. So this wow. idea of being the, being a publisher of the content, whether you're the expert or not, like in your case, partnering with, you know, the, the expert and we're trying to digitize, a, you know, all this, uh, this subject matter and make it approachable outside of the, the museum or whatever, it, it can open up so much scale. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of like that idea of B to B to C business to customer, B to B business to business, B to whatever. Right. You can go yes. small, you can go big, you can do both. Well, and that's an element we're looking at as well. That's one of the elements that this particular client is looking at, not just having an ongoing course where a family or a child can continue, but the teacher is able to just basically pull curriculum and teach from that curriculum. And um, one of the things that we, we actually were talking about this just very recently, and there are different state standards. I am not a teacher. I'm not in education, but there's I guess there's like science standard number three and math standard number whatever. And so designing a teacher is designs a curriculum to meet those standards. And then what's really cool too about Lifter is that you can use tags and then you can do a tag to tag the different um, state standards on which course meets those state standards so that you can then have a, a great place where a teacher says, okay, I need science. Give me some science. <laughs> and then they can go in and they can find some science third grade standards and then can start pulling that content and be able to deliver that content to their classroom. And that's another thing that 
that we're looking at as a feature of this um, for this particular nonprofit. It's super exciting. This is changing how teachers may teach. So, yeah. I'm excited. And this is one of the things that makes WordPress and an LMS special is uh, WordPress, a CMS or content management system has already been working on this issue for so long. You're talking about tags and categories and things like this. How do we structure like lots of content? The CMS has already been working on this and the LMS, uh, you know, kind of builds on top of that in terms of structuring the content and the learning paths and keeping it organized from a, a t- teacher or a school or an organization perspective. So somebody once told me that, hey, I hope you, or you don't realize it, but you don't have an LMS, you have an LCMS. And I'm like, what's that? And they said, it's a, learning content management system a lot of lms's are just like waiting for you to upload some content into but because of wordpress you can actually create the content inside the lms and um Mm -hmm. and and really get fancy with it um Mm -hmm. well what's what's your approach like um some clients in, in wordpress you know they may be small and they got this one thing but to me like a a a nonprofit or mission-driven organization like a museum they may have like a lot of stuff so how do you help them you know when you work with them figure out like where do we start how do we uh how, how do we approach this big project well um i Whenever we talk about that, there's a couple of things that come to mind. The first thing that comes to mind is when we manage, so we do a lot of management. Um, we've talked a lot about the LMS today just because, you know, that's what we're talking about. And that's, that, that's it's exciting to talk with, with you about Lifter and about what we're doing. But a lot of what Radiate WP does is we do management plans. So, um this this lifter LMS the, the LMS we're talking about is a small portion of what we really do. Our management plan is really a huge part of what we do. And the first thing we do anytime we bring a client on is we do a very comprehensive site audit. And our site audit process takes about three to four weeks. And we have about three different people who come in and touch the site audit in different ways. They look at different things. We're looking at user interface. We're looking at SEO. We're looking at accessibility. We're looking at page speed and performance. We're looking at all of these things. And we, re- we use a really neat tool that helps us do this. But we've also modified this tool to really work for us. And then once that audit is done, we deliver this really cool report that has a punch list. And it's like, these are the things that need to be done right now. You know, we need to look at page speed. We've got accessibility issues here. We've got the, and so we got, we, we have this list of things that we deliver. And then we, um, the person who heads up our site audits, she actually will record a video and a, and will go through the report. She actually records her screen. Most of these videos are 20 to 25 minutes long and she literally walks you through the report and explains out everything about the report and then we we then from there 
work with them and prioritize what's the first thing we want to do. And then, of course, as a, as a maintenance um, plan and providing maintenance plan, we also do support. And so we provide support hours. And during our support time, we will do some of those fixes. Sometimes our clients like to do their own fixes, especially if it's something like alt- alternative text. Um, you need a lot of alternative text on your images. Um, you can do that. You know what the images are better than we do. And so sometimes our support to them is creating a video that shows them how to do whatever it is that they need to do. So we, we will work with the client to get those fixes done however they want to do. If they want to do them themselves, fine, absolutely, go for it. We're not possessive of who does them. You know, we just want to show you what needs to be done and we want to support you getting them done. If you just are like, I don't want to do any of it, I'm too busy, fine, that's what we're here for. We can take those on and we'll get those fixes done for you. So that's actually how we work as an agency. And that's the very first thing that we do. So our first full month is we're getting to know that site and we're doing that site audit and we're onboarding and figuring out what's going on. And so that's kind of, that's how we start every site, whether it's big or small, every site's going to get one of those. That's awesome. I've seen a lot of, there's a segment of the folks that listen to this and watch in the lifter community in general that, that build LMS sites for clients and they're, um, I, there's so much focus on getting it off the ground, like getting a new thing launched or a total redo or whatever. But uh, I see a lot of people asking for like, how do I keep going? How do I build care plans? How do I, how do I like stay with my clients longer and be, be a little more proactive than reactive? And I think you just gave a, like a great uh, framework around how to, you know, basically you got to investigate, you got to find what's needed. And then, uh, you got to adapt to the client. You know, some want to, some want you to do it for them, and just want to just hand it off. Some people want to be empowered to learn how to do it. You go both ways. Any other advice for people trying to create stable, recurring businesses around websites for clients, not just launching the site initially? Yeah, you know, I I think I think that just being really flexible with how the client wants to work is really important, and. Um, just supporting them in however way that they want to be supported. Um, You know, our site audit is, it, it, it is like, it's an event, but it's also a crux that leads to what, what we do. It's like, it's like the road, it's like the plan for how we're going to work with them and what they need to be doing. And so I think doing some kind of audit and working with that. Also, whenever we bring a new client on, the first thing I say, or one of the very first things I say to a client is, your website will never be done, ever. Do not ever think your website is done. Um, If you ever had this magical feeling that, oh, I'm going to launch my site, and then whenever we fix this, it will be done. No, it's never going to be done, ever, ever. Um, You know, the site audit that could have been a perfect site audit a year ago, um, we now have the new Google Core Web Vitals. (laughs) Boom, we've got a new thing to look at. 
that. Your site will never be done ever. And so there's no shame in that. And I think people who also build a site or, or create, I think there's, I think it's helpful to create an expectation to begin with. So that whenever you say with the, the words that you use, you know, when we build your site and when we launch, okay, well, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. When you launch your site, then the work continues to make sure that everything's updated, to make sure that new content is added correctly. I mean, how many of us have seen a beautiful new site that's all great and styled right? And then content is added and it's styled all weird. And then all of a sudden everything breaks because it wasn't, you know, it's like, it's just never done. And I think getting that message across to clients that your website is a living, breathing animal and you can't stop feeding it. And you have to always feed it if you want it to live. That's what great advice there. Let's talk about project management a little bit. Um, you mentioned working with nonprofits. There's, there's more of a like group decision-making thing and uh, I know even working with for-profits, maybe it's just one person, perhaps uh, one client that like just get, keeping the communication together and getting forward progress, getting the content, getting the decisions, whatever needs to be made to, to be successful with the project. What advice do you have for keeping that relationship healthy and especially in the context and moving forward, uh, like continuous momentum, especially in the context of multiple stakeholders and decision makers that get involved in the process? I think, first of all, it's most important to find out at the very beginning who is in the game and who are the decision makers in the game and what role do they all play. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes agencies are pretty forthcoming with that. And then sometimes, like with all organizations, there are, you know, uh, politics, or there may be like a hidden stakeholder who this person's opinion, you know, while they not are not necessarily the stakeholder, their opinion actually is weighed very heavily. And so the stakeholder listens to this person. And you don't know that. And so I think asking a lot of questions up front, who's the decision maker? Who's the one that makes the final decision? Who does this decision maker listen to? Who has the ear of the decision maker? Um, who are the people in your office that you ask advice for that other people listen to their advice? So it's, it's the formal decision makers and the informal decision makers and understanding. And that's not just nonprofits. That's any, that's anything. I mean, I, I think that's just general good advice. Um, and then understanding who those are. And then once you know those players and once you kind of understand those and see them, working with them and keeping them all in the loop and communicate, communicate, communicate. That's awesome. And what about, uh, like you mentioned kind of taking head on the mindset that the website's never done. It's an, it's an organism that you continually need to feed and take care of and adapt and evolve. Um, what advice do you have on uh, helping a client who may not see it that way at first kind of 
make the understanding that like, oh, I'm not hiring a one-off website here. I'm, I'm actually creating kind of a, techno- a technology partnership with this expert with my online platform. Like, how do you kind of get to a solid understanding there? You know, it's, it, there's no magical cure about that. What I try my best to do is explain that there was websites back when websites began that were built with HTML and they were static. And you could, I mean, some of those sites are still there today and look exactly the way they were before. Those are not really organisms and they can live until they will never rot. I mean, they're just there, right? (laughs) And so I explained that because we have sites now that are way more dynamic and that can do so many more things, we have all of these pillars that are working together. And so I talk to, and I try and educate my client and I say, we've got WordPress core software. We've got even like server software, like PHP that lives on the actual software on the, on the server. We've got themes, we've got plugins. So we've got all of these like little ramps or these little stages. And if one stage goes really high, but the other stages around it don't rise with it, then like the chair that was balancing on the stage will fall off because you didn't keep the WordPress core updated whenever PHP did an update. And so all of these things will topple off and you may be very lucky and it may, it may go great for three years, but the people who are really lucky sometimes tend to be the people who all of a sudden when it breaks, boy, does it break. (laughs) And it just really falls apart in a hurry. And so I really just try to educate people and, and, and try to get them to imagine that three or four pillar stage and that all of those have to continue to rise together. Because if they don't, the furniture and everything on it will just fall off and just completely go into disarray. That's, that's good. That's good. Well, let's talk about the WordPress community a little bit. So you uh, co-organize a meetup. Um, tell us tell us the story of uh, how you got involved of, with not just using WordPress, but becoming kind of a member of a community, going out and meeting other people in person. I, when I started, I was just a guy who used WordPress to build sites for clients. And then I discovered like, whoa, there's this whole like community thing. I went to some meetups, conferences, and then the rest is history. But how was it for you? And what, what would you have to say about the WordPress community? I think, I think I'm probably one of, I'm, I'm a little bit abnormal as far as how I came into the community. Um, so I left my job as I was the executive director of a nonprofit association and I managed a community. That's what I did. My job was to manage an association that had over 2000 members. And so I provided education for them. Like I was a manager of a professional meetup group, if you will. I left that job and started doing what I'm doing now. And I immediately felt the void of not having a community. And I saw WordCamp Phoenix 2011 advertise. And a really funny story about that is I actually had someone who wanted to fly me to the Virgin Islands to do some training 
for their organization, the Virgin Islands, but it was the same weekend as WordCamp Phoenix. I declined the Virgin Islands trip. I mean, completely paid trip, right? I declined a trip to the Virgin Islands because there was something inside and something intuitively telling me, I really don't want to go to this WordPress or this WordCamp. I think that there's something there. I want to meet some people. Like I just, I just knew, I didn't know what it was. I attended WordCamp. I started meeting people. I got to learn a lot. I mean, like I, at that point, I had maybe opened WordPress once or twice. I was doing other things. I was using a, a community, a, an, a CMS that was more specific to associations. I really wasn't familiar with WordPress at that point. And I learned a lot about WordPress, met some people, and I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. I would love to get involved with this group of friendly folks, right? And so after WordCamp, they had their first meetup group and they got people together. The meetup had not been very uh, uh, meeting very consistently. They had been kind of out off and on. And so they got their meetup group together. And of course I attended and the person who was going to take the leadership role and move on. He's like, I need some help. Can someone help? Well, here's Carol goes, I'll help. I don't know anything about WordPress, but I can help find speakers. I can help do this. I'll set up chairs. I'll do this. You know, I'll do whatever I can that has nothing to do with WordPress, right? And so I, at this point, am a, an assistant organizer of the Arizona Meetup. And we had this meetup organizer from, that would have been from July until October. In October, he's like, oh, Carol, I got a really great opportunity to go to San Francisco. You're now the meetup chair. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was still, I was less than a year into being a WordPress professional. I mean, I was now working with it and I was working with it pretty consistently, but I still considered myself a newbie. But what I knew about community, and this is from being in communities before, what I knew about community is the power of the community isn't necessarily the knowledge and power of one person. It's the power of knowing a bunch of people who know the right person. And so I'm like, okay, I can do this. I don't have to know WordPress. I just have to know people who do know WordPress. And so I'm just charged ahead, started leading the meetup. And I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak. I'm not an expert. I was not an expert at the time. And I'm like, okay, I need someone who knows about this. Who, who, who can do it? <laughs> and I would just get these people in and our community grew. And at that time, we only had one site. We now have, I mean, like, I think, I, I think at the time we had about 600 members. Now we're up to 2,600 members. Um, so, you know, a lot of that has to do with the explosion of WordPress as a platform, you know, and, and our community has so many active volunteers. It's not just me. We've got so many volunteers who put so much into it. And because of all of those volunteers, the community has just grown. So I actually came to the WordPress community almost before I came to WordPress. It's like I came to the community and then I became more of a WordPress expert. So I think I came to it a little backwards. <laughs> That's awesome. This is, this is actually one of the big themes of the show is community building um, mm -hmm. as a part of education, entrepreneurship, uh, and 
it's not just about content. There's also people tend to learn and grow in groups. And uh, what you you drop so many great things there about the power of the network and not having to have all the answers, but connect the people and find the people. And uh, it what whether it's um, online or in person meetups or uh, digital or in person, what are some other community building tips you have around? creating a sense of community that's, uh, you know, safe, positive, um, tends to grow over time. Give us some community building tips just from all your experience in and outside of WordPress. So I think having a focus and knowing for sure what your community is about and what your goal is with the community. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that our If you go to ArizonaWP.org, you're going to see our website. And there are a lot of people. um, Dave Ryan has actually been a huge contributor to our website for that for that part. Um, I don't I wouldn't say that we have as much a mission. We have expectations. We on on that page, you're going to see that when you come to a meetup, here is what you expect to find. You expect to find a people who are going, a group of people who are going to welcome you. We welcome people of all abilities, of all races, of all, we welcome everyone. We're an inclusive community that does not in any way judge or discriminate. We're welcoming of everything. We focus on educating on WordPress. That is what we do. And to be a part of our community, you agree to participate in these expectations. And these expectations is if you come, you also agree that you will open your arms to other people, that you will not be judgmental and that you will be accepting of all people, no matter who they are and what level they come into the meetup group, that you too will accept them where they are. And um, that's pretty clear on our websites. And as, as organizers, we talk a lot about that. Um, there have been some unfortunate situations, although not a lot, where they may, I mean, not bullying, but just maybe not the best types of interactions. And those are met pretty directly. It's like, you know, that's, that don't, we don't use those types of terms, or this is not an appropriate setting for this. And we address that head on and we say, hey, take a look at the website. This is how our community works. And we have this set of expectations and all of our leaders embody that and follow that set of expectations. And they've just kind of set the tone. Um, and we've been very lucky because we've we've got that tone in place that we haven't had too many problems of people coming up and disrupting our our um our, our, I guess, oh, what am I trying to say? It's our culture, you know, our culture of helpfulness and our culture of inclusiveness. Any tips on like growing a community or community marketing or just having it? If you, if part of the mission is like, we would like this to get bigger, any tips there? I think being stable, uh, stable, stability. Uh, there was, Early on, I think one of the problems that our meetup did whenever I, back in 2011, they didn't have very consistent times. They said, well, some people can work better on Tuesday. And so on some months, we'll have it on Tuesday and other months, we'll do it on Thursday because other people like Thursdays. And, and, and so they were trying 
overly to be, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess accessible to everyone and having all of these different times. And whenever um, it was actually my predecessor who made this decision and I kept with it, this like, no, second Thursday of the month, every month, 6.30 p.m. at this location. It doesn't change. Yeah. And so the consistency really helped because whenever we were going to be there and we were always there, then there was a little bit of, okay, yeah, they're always there on this day. Oh, and, and I think that consistency helped to grow. And then as some of our satellites, so, so that was our original group. And then now, of course, we've got several different groups. They've, they've kept the same thing. Okay, this group meets on this day, every second Tuesday of the month at this location, every. And so they have kept, kept the consistency. And I think consistency really does help the group grow. Um, and it may seem like it's, it's um, hard at first because, you know, it, it, it goes, it's a curve. <laughs> it's it's going to curve up. It, it may not look like you are growing at first, but then all of a sudden you'll be filling up the room because people know that you're always there. And then of course, having good presenters and also having a time and a, a shared space for people to interact. We build in networking time. Whenever we have our agenda, we will do introductions and we actually will start our program do introductions, and then we break a little bit and say, okay, network a little bit, because we've just done introductions, and people have just said who they are and what they enjoy doing, and then the people may go, oh, I want to talk to them because they do this, and so we give that space within the meetup for them to network with each other, and then another thing that we do within our meetup is we have um, every single meetup, we have an idea swap. And it's just a 10 minute, share your best tip that you've learned. Doesn't have to be WordPress, but oftentimes it is. And share your biggest frustration that you would love a lead on on how to solve it. And it's super quick. It's lightning. It's lightning idea swap as fast as you can. And that idea swap gets a lot of ideas flowing and generation. And then also after idea swap at the end of the meetup, sometimes we have to just literally kick people out because they're still talking. And I think that's the key to growing a group. Wow, those were some solid tips right there. I'm taking <laughs> about the networking and then or the introduction and get out of the way for a little bit. Because it's not just about the speaker and the main event, it's the community, right? So that's right. That's a super solid insight. That's Carol Stambaugh from radiateforgood.com. Any any other final words for the listener or any other ways to connect with you? I'm available, obviously, on I'm on Twitter at Carol Stambaugh, and uh, my email is carol at radiatewp.com, and I have thoroughly enjoyed being a part of this podcast. It's been a great conversation. I've loved it. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, thank you, Carol. We'll have to do this again sometime. Thanks. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. Did you enjoy that episode? Tell your friends and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And I've got a gift for you over at lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Go to lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Keep learning, keep taking action, and I'll see you in the next episode.